Everybody, I thank God for you. I know you're only here to hunt eggs, but I'm desperate and I'll take what I can get. I thank God for you. Those joining us online, we love you. We thank God for you. We're glad you're with us in the presence of God, surrounded by the love of Jesus, and now to be lifted and filled with the power of his spirit and his word. If you're with us for the first time, man, we are delighted that God has lovingly invited you and that you said yes. Because here's the deal. We are on this action adventure with Jesus. And we have been for six weeks moving through uh, the gospel of Mark. And I say action adventure because Mark's book is all about the astounding actions of Jesus. Because in the way Jesus acts, we get a, a vision of how God longs to act in each of our lives. Actually, it's been six different days from the life of Jesus. And the first was uh, the, this destiny-defining day when Jesus was baptized. His cousin, John the Baptist, plunges him under the water. And when John brings Jesus up out of the water, Jesus comes up talking to God, and God talks back. The heavens part, a voice from heaven is heard that says, this is my son, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. That was a great day for Jesus, and it's a great day for you when you are baptized. In fact, God whispers over your soul at your baptism, you are my beloved child with whom I'm well pleased. Uh, there were some grueling days in the life of Jesus. He was under constant attack from the really religious, holier than thou's. But he always had the right word. He always had uh, the right response. He always had the right question. He always had them back on their heels, back on the defensive. But he was always under attack. There, there were days of supernatural power and unrestrained, unrestricted, unconditional forgiveness. Can you imagine if that was you? If you were one of those that he walks up to you, he knows your sin, he knows what you've done, he knows the dark thoughts, he knows every dark thing in your life, and yet he says, all your sins are forgiven. You're forgiven of all your sins. That was a major wow. And there were those days of miracles, healing after healing after healing, the blind receiving sight, the, the lame able to walk. There was even a little girl, 12 years old, who was raised from the dead. But, but if it was me, the very best days were those days when Jesus would walk up to somebody, an ordinary somebody like me, like you, a regular somebody, look them in the eye and say, hey, you got it in you to be like me. You got it in you to do what I do. Come, follow me, and follow they did day and night with Jesus. Well, I want to fast forward us through Mark today. It's not a day in the life of Jesus. It's a dark, lonely night in the life of Jesus. In fact, it's the last night before his brutal execution on a blood-stained cross. It's Thursday night. That's today. It's Thursday night. Come back on Friday. You'll get Friday. Saturday and Sunday will be all about the resurrection. But today, this morning, it's about Thursday 
night. In fact, it's a night. It's not just the last night before he is executed. It's a whole night of last things. Remember, he had his last supper and you just participated in it. He said, this is my body. I gave him bread. This is, he broke the bread and gave it to him. This is my body broken for you. He took the wine, took the cup and said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. That was the last supper. And then there was his last teaching. Can you imagine the last teaching of Jesus? I mean, if he could give you one lesson, if this was the last lesson he could give you, guess what it was? It was on how and why we serve. This is the highest priority to Jesus. We're not following him until we begin to serve him in his church. And then he issues a last warning Um, here it is. Jesus said, all of you will desert me tonight. You're going to run. You're going to run scared. Just as scripture says, God, isn't this wild? Jesus is a shepherd. Scripture says, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep. And these guys know they're the sheep. We're the sheep. And they will all bail on him. Then the promise There we go. But after I'm raised from the dead, Jesus says, I will go ahead of you. After I'm raised from the dead. So with this stinging, stunning, warning, buzzing around like a bee in their brain, they take their last walk with Jesus. I've walked this walk six or seven times in Israel and I've always wondered what it would feel like to walk it with Jesus at night. He's walking down a western hillside. Behind him would be the old city of Jerusalem. He is walking, switchbacking down a valley. Across the eastern hillside is the Mount of Olives. A small hill covered with olive groves. Cutting this These twin hillsides, Mount of Olives and the old city of Jerusalem, is the Kidron Valley. And at the very center of the Kidron Valley is the Kidron Stream. And whenever I've been there, it's not running with much water. But on this night, as Jesus, the path levels out, and as he approaches the stream, the Kidron is running with blood. You see, it was the drainage ditch for temple sacrifice. And that day, over 200,000 lambs had been slaughtered for the sins of the people. And so in my imagination, I just feel like Jesus had to stop seeing that, that, that stream run with water and blood because you remember when Jesus died to verify that he was fully physically dead, a Roman soldier, an executioner, shoved the spear up under his ribcage into his heart. When he pulls the spear out, guess what comes out? Out streams blood and water. So Jesus sees all that flowing before him and he's got to think, no more animal sacrifice. No more streams of blood. Now one lamb, the lamb of God will die for the sins of the world. Whatever he thought, whatever he did, he led his closest friends, 11 of them, because at that very moment, Judas was accepting 30 pieces of silver for his betrayal. 30 pieces of silver, that was the price of a lowly slave. He's selling Jesus for the price of a slave. But Jesus takes the other 11. They begin to ascend the Mount 
of olives. And if we were to walk there together today, well, here's what they found. Scripture says that they came to an olive grove called the Garden of Gethsemane. Now today, if on the south side of the trail, you would see the church of his agony. Beautiful, beautiful place. I think I have a picture. There, beautiful, striking uh, beauty. And it's always packed with people. But it's never, um, and it's not very garden-like. But if you're willing to bribe a gatekeeper on the north side of the path, uh, two American dollars per person, you can get into a beautiful garden of olive trees. It's my favorite place on the planet because every time I've taken our people there, and if you could just imagine, I mean, we go in there and we find a quiet spot. We open the word of God. We receive communion. We pray, but then we scatter. And maybe if you could see by each one of those trees, one of the people from our church kneeling in prayer. That's one of my favorite places on the planet because God has never failed in that place, on that spot, to touch us with his love. I mean, it's remarkable. In fact, our executive pastor, Eric, is at our Janesville campus this morning telling them what he experienced in the garden the last time we were in Israel. But now it's night. They're ducking low-hanging limbs. They're following Jesus. And um, my question is this, if he is only ours, away from his death, only hours away. And not by nine o'clock in the morning, his, his hands, his wrists will be spiked to a criminal's cross, nails through his ankles. And before that, he knows what's coming. He knows that his beard is gonna be pulled out by the roots. He knows that his face is gonna be beaten beyond recognition. His own mom wouldn't even recognize him. He knows that his head is gonna be bludgeoned again and again and again with a club. He knows that they're gonna take whips to his back 39 lashes until it's just a bloody pulp. He knows all that's coming, so why does he stop at a garden? Why does he call a time out? And of all places, a garden. Well, here's the deal. Human history began in a garden, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, the first humans, and there they sinned against the holiness of God. And with their sin, Satan seduced them. Satan lied, they believed the lie, they bought the lie, they bit on the bait. The hook was set and he drug them into sin, drug them into death. In fact, from that first sin, all of hell was set loose on our planet. Every disease, death itself, all war, all violence, all anxiety and fear, all guilt and shame. There's something broken in me because of sin. There's something broken in you because of sin. There's something broken in every institution, in every government because of sin. Something broken in everyone and everything on this planet because of their sin. And because of our sin, but it started in that garden. So Jesus comes to Gethsemane because he is gonna get triumphantly right what humanity has always gotten miserably wrong. He's gonna come into combat with Satan. It's not gonna be hand-to-hand combat, it's gonna be heart-to-heart combat. And in that moment, Jesus is gonna go to hell for you because he can't stand the thought of being in heaven 
without you. Jesus decided in that moment to go to hell for you rather than be in heaven without you. In this uh, heart-to-heart combat, the heart of Satan is hostility and hatred toward Jesus. And the heart of Jesus is loving surrender to his Father in heaven. So here's how it happened. They came to an olive grove called the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus instructed his disciples, sit here while I go and pray. Now, I don't know why you think you've come this morning, but I know this. Jesus has you seated in this room and in your home. And while you're seated here right now, he is praying for you. He's praying for your pain. He's praying for your problems. He's praying for your challenges. He's praying for the difficulties in your life. He knows what's going on in your marriage. He knows what's going on with your kids. He knows what's going on in your money, in your emotions. And Jesus is praying for you. That's what he lives for, is to plead for you. Here's what the word of God says. Jesus is able now and always to save those who come to God. So we just keep coming to God. We just keep coming to God. We just keep coming to God with our concerns, our pain, our problems, our challenges. We just keep coming to God. Jesus lives forever to plead with God for us. Right now, Jesus is praying that you will turn away from your sin and come home to God. He's praying that you'll Be baptized. He's praying for your struggles. He's praying that you'll begin to serve him. He's praying that you'll receive his love. But he exists solely right now. He is all about praying for you and what's going on in your life. You see, Jesus has decided to pray for you so you can decide to be the answer to his prayers. You turn away from your sin. That answers the prayer of Jesus. You are baptized. It answers the prayer of Jesus for you. You begin to serve. You give some time. You help a child. You you help the hungry. And you're answering the prayer of Jesus for your life. So he goes to pray. And as he does, he picks out three. Peter, I want you to come with me. James, John, you guys... Come with me. Here's the text. The word of God says, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and and began to be filled, filled with horror and is deeply distressed. He's distressed because of the horror. The Greek word there for horror means to be attacked by terror. Jesus comes to this garden to fix what we've all gotten wrong and he is attacked by terror. Now, what is this terror? I mean, I've already said, he knows about the cross. He he knows about his beard being pulled out by the roots. He knows that his face is gonna be beaten beyond recognition. He knows it because he knows Old Testament scripture. He knows plan A because he helped put it together with God the Father and the Holy Spirit before the world began. So what is terrorizing Jesus so that he's coming apart at the seams? He's having an emotional meltdown. Serious. He is at the very end of himself. What is it? What does he see in that garden? What does he sense in that garden? What is making him feel attacked by terror? 
Well, I gave you the first half of the warning. This is how rabbis always taught. They would give part of a scripture, expecting their followers to say the other part. Well, here's the whole part. Here's the whole all together. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is God's shepherd. Good shepherd. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, the man who is my associate, my partner, and my equal. God is making a plain that Jesus is God. As much God as God the Father is God. God the Father, God Jesus, they are equal. This, these are the words of the Lord Almighty. And then he says, strike down the shepherd. O sword, strike down the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. The purpose of a sword is to sever, is to cut off. And that's what Jesus sees. Yes, he's going to die for my sin and your sin. He's going to pay the penalty, the punishment for our sin on the cross. But what he sees that terrorizes him is that he will be made to be Dave Clark's sin. He will be made to be your sin on the cross and he will be severed in that moment that he becomes your sin, all your sin, every dark thought, every hateful word, every hurtful behavior. When he has made your sin, he is cut off from God. He is severed. He has been in real, right, intimate relationship, community, fellowship with God forever without end. But in that moment that he has made our sin, he is severed from God. He is cut off from the love of God and it scares him to death. Somehow, someway, he croaks out these words. My soul is crushed with sorrow. I think I'm gonna die. This sorrow is killing me. Have you ever, have you ever been in a place of deep emotional pain and you thought, the, I mean, if it was a broken arm, you know what, set it, slap a cast on it, six weeks later you're better, but when it's your heart that's torn apart, when it's your heart that's broken, have you ever felt like, man, the pain, it's just, this is killing me. So what do you think? What'd you do? When that happened to you, what'd you do? Did you try to get out of the painful situation? Did you want to back off? Did you want to somehow escape? So what do you think Jesus is going to do? You think he's going to back out of the garden? You think he's going to develop an escape plan so he can get away? The most amazing, amazing, amazing thing to me on this dark, lonely Thursday night is that Jesus stepped toward the the terror. He stepped right into the terror. Look at the scripture. Scripture says he went on a little further and just collapsed. He was undone, fell to the ground and prayed. His face is in the dirt. He's pulling out grass by the roots. His whole body is a, is a physical spasm. He is so super stressed with this tension. Blood vessels are bursting beneath his skin. He bleeds out in his sweat. He is in agony. He thinks it's going to kill him. He doesn't know how he'll survive this agony. And I just wanted you to know that no one has ever suffered for you 
like Jesus. It, it was for you. I mean, everything in the life and ministry of Jesus was for you. I mean, yeah, he dies for you, but consider this suffering, this emotional, relation, relational, mental, spiritual suffering he's going through for you. He knows he's the only one that can do it. And on this last night of last things, we get to listen in on his very last prayer. Here's the last prayer of Jesus. Father, Father, everything is possible for you. You're the creator of heaven and earth, the sky and the sea, all that's in them. You made everything out of nothing. Nothing is too difficult for you. Father, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. It's not that he wants to avoid the cross. It's not that he wants to avoid the brutality and the torture. He wants to avoid being severed from the love of God, being cut off from relationship with God. If there's any way, Jesus knows plan A. He knows it's the only process by which we can have hope of being in heaven forever. But he's asking right now in this moment, could there be a plan B? Plan B. Father, you can do anything. You're all knowing. How about a plan B? But Jesus knows the answer to that question before he asked it. Because there, there was no one who could do what needed to be done. Only Jesus. No, no, no angel could do it because there is no angel who could defeat death. There's no angel who could be executed and then rise from the dead. None. That there is no really, really good person among us who could die for the sins of all humanity because we are all sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no force on earth. All the combined forces on this planet are not enough to come against the forces of hell. Only Jesus could defeat Satan, death, hell, sin, and the grave for us. And I want to tell you something. He's down there in the dirt pulling up that grass by the root, sweating great drops of blood, weeping, pouring out his soul to God, but something happens on the inside. His body begins to relax. What happens is that he thinks of you. He sees your face. He thinks your name and mine. He sees me. He thinks of me. And all of a sudden, he sets his mind. He gets some grit in his gut, some, some steel in his heart. And he is going, his face set like flint. He is going to the cross. Whatever it takes, even being separated from God the Father, he's going to go for you. And he's going to go for me. There's no other way. There's no other person who can do what Jesus did. So as he pushes himself up off the ground, here's how he closes his prayer. I want your will. I want what you want, Father, to be done. I want your will to be done. Not what I want, not a plan B, not my will. I want your will. I want what you want. And with that, surrender. I mean, no one has ever suffered for you like Jesus and no one has ever surrendered for you like Jesus. And this is huge, friends, because we don't want to surrender. 
Not nothing. We don't want to surrender our money. We don't want to surrender our time. We don't want to surrender our energy. We don't want to surrender our way, doing what we ever darn well please. We don't want to surrender. The good news is Jesus surrendered for us. He said, Father, not my will be done, but thine will. I'll go. I'll be cut off. I love him so much. I'll be cut off from your love. Well, I, I tell you, surrender. I had a couple last night at the end of my talk that came forward to ask me to pray over their marriage, and I did. And I prayed that they would surrender to each other and to God. Because in surrender, surrender is the secret to releasing supernatural power of God in our lives in our marriages, in our finances, in our emotions. And we need it. What Jesus did for is so needful because we don't like, we don't know how, we don't want to surrender. But you gotta see what he got. He's up on his knees, he's brushing off his robe, he's wiping his eyes. And from that point forward, he's striding out of that garden. He's waking up his friends. He's saying, okay, boys, here they come. And there came the torches and the swords and the soldiers and Judas to give him a kiss of betrayal. But from that point forward, it was nothing but sheer obedience all the way to death on the cross. No one has ever suffered for you like Jesus. No one has ever surrendered for you like Jesus. And no one has ever obeyed for you like Jesus. And this is incredibly significant for we have disobeyed God like breathing air. We have disobeyed God. But Jesus on the cross, he took our, all our ugly disobedience. And when you believe that he is the son of God who died for your sin, he gives you all the glory and beauty of his perfection, his obedience. So there's more to this story. And if you come Back to our Good Friday service, you'll hear about Friday. But I don't think we can close out Thursday night without inviting you. People came for prayer after the last service. You may, may come. People are here with serious financial struggles and physical struggles and relational struggles. And Jesus is here. And he suffered for you. And he surrendered for you. And he's obeyed for you and he's praying for you right now. And we can come before him. Would you stand with me? I'm gonna come off the stage after my prayer and I'm gonna invite you to the front if you'd like for uh, me or one of our prayer leaders uh, to pray with you. We'll be down here. I know parents, you need to bolt from this room like your hair's on fire because <laughs> your kids wanna go hunt those Easter eggs. Um, but other than parents... <laughs> you can come to the front. We'll pray for you. Um, would you bow with me? Father God, what an amazing church this is. So alive with your spirit. So passionate about Jesus. So trusting in your word. Would you fall in this place now, Holy Spirit? Would you fill these hearts? Would you give the kids, Lord, give the kids such a great time. I know every weekend here in Kids Works is a fun time, but let this campus be the funnest place on the planet for these children. When they think of church, they think of fun. Let them have a great time, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week. Bye.